0: You are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by Single Ops. A podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business.
1: So a couple of these just quick answer questions. So so Mike, if you could go and kind of pinpoint whether this is a, a personal or a professional investment, it doesn't have to be a large amount of money, small amount of money, it really doesn't matter, that you think really was you know just one of the best ROIs of your maybe your time, maybe financially, that, um, that was just worthwhile for you? What, what would you say to something like that?
0: I would say education again. I don't want that to be the answer for everything, but that's the answer. You know, all the books I've bought in uh, trade shows and seminars I've paid to go to, webinars. Uh, I went back to, you know, I went back and got my, college degree as an adult and paid a ton of money out of pocket for it and didn't use it to get a job or anything like that. It was more of a personal thing that I wanted to do. But every every dollar I've ever spent on trying to make myself better, you know, smarter, stronger, better. I never regret those dollars spent. So it's it's for me, it's education. I'm sure it's different for everybody. But I I like to learn. I want to grow. I want to I want to compete in the world. So I'm I keep spending money on education and, and I think it's, it's money well spent.
1: Couldn't agree more. Yeah. That, that's a great answer. So another kind of off the wall question here, but as far as technology goes, you know, we always get people asking about tools, tactics, different apps, what, what sort of things in, in your business could you not live without? What does the technology look like?
2: Whew.
0: We've got we've got all the normal culprits. Um, we've got you know GPS. We've got you know different pieces of software we use to run the company. Dollar for dollar, you know your my my iPhone probably gets the most use. It's probably paid for itself the quickest. If you think how many hours we use these silly these devices, I mean it's crazy. I don't want to to not answer the question and and all that stuff's important. And I, I try to be a tech guy. I don't know if I really am. I mean, I use it. We need it. It's part of the world, but I'm a pen and paper guy. I mean, if you, if you told me, you know, you get one, one tool and then we're taking everything else away for a little while and we want to see how you perform. I'm going to, I'm going to have pad of paper and an ink pen because that's how I do my best thinking. That's how I plan the day. My to-do list is on pen and paper. I mean, I've got a I've got a very expensive laptop and an iPad and an iPhone and my to-do list is on paper. You know, when I'm sitting down and I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna to do tomorrow to be effective and efficient, it's on paper. That's just how I it's how I think. It's how I get my my ideas out of my head into into some type of form that I can use. So I'll take I'll take a pen and paper and if, if you let me have one more, it'd probably be a calculator.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Simple enough. Yeah. You talked about your continued education and how you're always trying to, you know, read and, and kind of do webinars and that sort of thing. What does that information diet look like? I mean, if we're kind of trying to broaden our horizons from the business perspective, any specific books, blogs, trade associations that you would suggest for our industry to just kind of get your feet wet and start to start thinking like that, that business owner?
0: Yeah, the, the trade magazines are all free or very cheap. So I, I'd recommend everybody subscribe to those. There's no reason not to. If you find one, you don't like it, again, it's free or cheap. It doesn't hurt anything. If you read these magazines over the course of the month and you pick up one or two little tips, I mean, it's worth your time and, and read the articles and try to put some thought into them and not, not just look at the new equipment and the advertisements <laughs> but the, the industry magazines are great. Some of the publishers do a really, really good job, so, some better than others. But there's tons of good info out there. As far as books go, I mean, I like I like a lot of the classic business books, sales books. Um, I think on my desk here, I've got uh, Good to Great. It's a good book. Recently, I read um, Talking to Strangers. What is it? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. It's a thought, thought-provoking book that... Whether you're just getting started in business or you've been around a while, I think you would enjoy. That's my comfort zone. You know, reading business books and, and self-help and development—that's kind of my comfort zone. So I try to sometimes read something a little bit different, whether it's fiction or history or something, just to try to try to not not be stuck in one world. Right now, I'm reading uh, *The Splendid and the Vile* by Eric Larson. Uh, it's like a history account of. Uh, Winston Churchill and World War II and a lot of behind the scenes uh, notes out of journals and conversations that were recorded and all sorts of stuff so I'll read and listen and pay attention to anything if I if I think I'm going to learn from it so
1: love it love it definitely respect changing gears too that's something that's helped me a lot is Getting out of another, you know, into a different arena, right? You can't always be all business. You need to be able to bring in new information. And sometimes it helps spark a little more the creative side, too. Yeah. You know, so you're not just listening to the same ideas sort of regurgitated in a different book. So I definitely think that's a, that's a great piece of advice. So, Mike, do you have, whether this is you personally or Rila or whatever you're comfortable sharing, Like a favorite failure and i mean that in more of like the learning lesson way like a particular maybe a decision just a way in which you guys pursued something maybe it went sideways in the short term but the long term really you know you learned a lot more from it just a kind of a a failure in that sense
0: that's a good question that's a tough one um here at brailer i would say it's the growing pains that come with growing really really quickly you know, there's been times we've we've let our quality slip sometimes, and we've had to change gears and get back out there and get the guys doing quality work. You know, instead of instead of we're bragging about 30% growth, let's make sure that we're not we're not pissing off our customers while we're doing it. I mean, that's that's what comes to mind here at Brylar as far as a failure. I mean, I hate to hate to call it a failure. I don't know that I'd use that word, but yeah, I mean, we've we've failed at stuff like that, or whether it's been quality or it's been taking good care of our, our employees and stuff like that just because of you know crazy fast growth and kind of taking your eye off the ball and all of that. And then earlier when I was just getting started in the industry, I guess I guess the biggest failure was trying to trying to run a business and trying to sell a bunch of work without knowing the numbers. You know, we've talked about numbers, numbers, numbers. And I wish someone would have instilled that in me earlier was you don't need to be the biggest. You just you need to keep the keep the line on the bottom green. So.
1: Yeah, great advice, uh, especially off the cuff there. And one other piece that you mentioned is not being all things to all people, right? Mm-hmm. Recognizing that everyone has a target customer and to really double down on that customer. That's certainly something that was one of my biggest failures early on. Anybody that called, I was going out there to service mm-hmm. and it ended in nightmares many, many times. And it sounds Perfect. like you guys, you know, pivoting away from that was another huge learning lesson. So yeah, really great insight.
3: Yeah,
0: it's hard to hard to say no when you're in business, but sometimes no is the best answer for everybody.
1: That's for sure. It's definitely underutilized. <laughs> All right, Mike. So so one last question, more of just a, a general, do you have any ask or a, a next step if if I'm a business owner and I'm I'm in that high growth stage? you know, what would you suggest as just an ask for the audience or the, the next thing that you think they should work on? I know you've touched on a couple of these things. Feel free to repeat any of those, but yeah. just, um, you know, next step is as to what, what action they could take this week to kind of get, their, get, get some momentum going.
0: In the interest of continuous improvement, you don't know what you don't know. And I think we make a mistake of trying to learn from our own experience. And it's, it's very, very slow. It takes a long time. And you can, you can only learn so much from yourself. I mean, that's what, I, what I've learned to tell myself and what I tell people around me is you can only learn so much from yourself. So we got to put our guard down. We got to put our pride away and we got to ask for help. You know, if I'm, I'm telling you that numbers are so important to sustaining business, if you're not a numbers person or you need help in that area, ask for help. Get with somebody who can help you. If sales aren't your thing, read, read books, get with somebody that can help you. But you got to always be getting better. And and we don't learn very much from ourselves. I mean, we can we get a little bit better over time, but our education and our, our development comes from experiences with other people, whether it's mentors in the industry or some type of consulting or college or schools or books or whatever it is, our our development comes from outside. We just, uh, I'll say it again, there's only so much we can learn from ourselves. So my encouragement would be get out of your comfort zone, embrace continued education, and uh, find folks to help. You don't have to do it by yourself.
1: Incredibly well said. Couldn't agree more. That's, uh, That's really powerful stuff. So Mike, thanks again for being a part of the little bonus round here and uh, giving some extra value for our our listeners. So thanks again, really appreciate it. And uh, definitely have you back on again. There's a couple hours more stuff I want to tease out of you at some point. Yeah, (laughs) Thanks
0: thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. All right, Mike, so you're kind enough to stay on for a couple more minutes to answer a couple of these quick fire questions in the bonus round here. Our audience really likes to get a little nitty gritty or higher level questions, but I think there's some, some good takeaways and tactics here. So we always like to know from the investment standpoint, this could be time, this could be money. What was one of the best investments you have made, maybe in your career or as a company? What, what does that look like? What comes to mind?
4: I mean, this is gonna sound super weird, but like hiring a coach, you know, I do it for a living, but I also have a coach. Um, it was one of the things that helped me kind of overcome some of those early hurdles in starting a consulting business. And I would say for any company, if I knew now, like if I was coaching me from seven years ago, I mean, I would have had even more wild success. So I think having somebody to help you overcome those early hurdles, or even those, you know, as you scale hurdles can really help shorten the failure gap and I mean, it's marginal expense compared to the, the scalability that you'll get by not failing, even in just the money saved by not making the mistakes that that person made along the way gets to help you avoid.
1: I love that. Yeah. We talk all the time about the consulting piece that it can you either have time or you have money, right? You can use money to save yourself time and, and miss out on those failures that end up being something someone's experienced. So if you can speed that process up in some way, it's well worth the investment. So great advice. Just from a more kind of tool standpoint, do you have like an app, um, tech, any sort of product or thing that you couldn't live without or this really helps you be productive as well as just effective in your day-to-day?
4: So I use uh, Asana, A-S-A-N-A. It's a task management app. I'm really big on my time management process is time blocking on my calendar and then uh, task management in a separate app. So I use Asana for all my individual kind of granular tasks. So I basically set up my whole week for success on Sunday. I put five to seven tasks every day that equates to the time blocks of the day. So without Asana, like, it would be very difficult for me to continue. Because, I mean, as we've talked about, I put out a ton of stuff, right? That all takes effort and planning and coordination. So without that task manager and having it at my fingertips and my phone um, is a huge asset for me.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, any tool like that can get stuff out of your head and in a centralized place is going to make a huge difference. I also wanted to ask you about your sort of information diet. You strike me as somebody that is learning constantly as well as you're trying to teach others. What does that diet look like? How are you consuming books, podcasts, blogs? How do you keep fresh and sharpened yourself?
4: So I read uh, every day before I go to the gym. So, you know, I read 20 to 30 minutes every morning. That does two things. It helps me stay sharp and also helps me give me ideas for content creation because like it gets hard after time, right? I know you've, you've experienced that. But then like like I talked about earlier, like I'm a part of uh, two mastermind groups and I have a coach that's part of one of those two groups. And so just following along with the process, one of the biggest advice I'll give and and I went through this and maybe you did, too, where you kind of go on like influencer overload and everybody says something a little bit differently. And you try and follow like, well, hey, he said this. Let me try and add what this other guy said. Like, I would suggest going and following one to two people and just buying into whatever they say because their process can be different than someone else's process. And if you're following 10 people and trying to nitpick what you think you're going to like the best, it's never going to work right for you because you're taking too many different parts of too many different processes. So for me, like I went through that where I was following like eight to 10 people and trying to implement all these different things. So follow one or two people, get into a group, get into a mastermind, buy into that, and then just accept the fact that that process is going to take time but get behind a process. Don't become an information zombie where you're just constantly absorbing, but not actually implementing anything. It's very hard to implement when you're taking it in from so many different places.
1: Couldn't agree more. Great answer. You ruined this question for me. I was going to ask it at the end, but you already answered it halfway through here. I was going to ask if you were to quit consulting and had to jump back in to a business development role, what would you do? What would be the first things you worked on? And you kind of stole that from me by explaining that. Just to reiterate again, That was the process of of identifying key partnerships. So just one more time, you went out and just physically found people that were fit and and went out and messaged them,
4: correct? So I I had an interest getting back into the industry. I kind of have an itching to kind of do my own thing again and have a business that was not just a coaching consulting business. Like, I'm doing great. Like, my coaching business is growing. But there's something about just being in the industry that I missed. And so I was looking for a strategic partnership probably for about the last six or eight months, just trying to find somebody that could be the other side of that. Because to be honest, like I'm not an operator. like I can't teach you how to go do a job better, but I can teach you how to create marketing, create a brand, create messaging, sales process, trackability, all that. So I needed somebody who had the other side. Well, one of the, a guy contacted me about doing some coaching, and he had an opportunity that he was trying to start this other business. And I said, hey, why don't we just partner on it? And he was all about it. So... You know, if, if I had to put a, a, if I wasn't consulting anymore, it would be that Like I want to grow businesses with people. I love partnerships, love being a part of a team. I miss that the most, probably like I miss having a team. I miss having a sales team and a, an organization that's working with me and where I'm working for, and that's a lot of fun. So coaching's great, but you're always kind of like just one step disconnected, right? So this allows me to get back in the industry and kind of get, you know, growing something of meaningfulness again, because I'm, and I know you know this, and a lot of people listening know this, like our industry is aging out you know, So we're both in our early thirties, right? And, and we're, we're looking at doing something. Well, I want to get back in the industry because in 10 years, I want like all my competition will be gone. Right. Okay, so I, I had a very unique interest. Like if you're listening right now and you're working for somebody else and you're in your twenties, start progressing to owning your own business. Because in the next 10 to 15 years, the median age of home service people are going to be in the seventies and those people aren't going to be climbing trees anymore right? So think about that as you're progressing in your career, you're progressing in what you're doing, this industry is aging out. And if you have a skill set, and maybe you're just afraid of the business side, go ask questions, go like ask to take on some more responsibility at your company, go ask to take on some leadership, don't be afraid of it, fail with the safety net of another company, don't fail on your own, fail with the safety net of like working for other people who can pick up behind you and have some sort of cash flow. Don't fail when you decide to start your own thing with no clients, like, Know, a little off track, but that's what I would do.
1: Great piece of advice. And just to layer quickly on top of that, this information is free. People like Mike and myself are constantly giving advice out there. there are, you can literally templatize how to think about growing a business well before you ever invest in that or growing your business, whatever that might look like. So you can learn these skills. I would highly suggest focusing on business acumen and things like Mike's talking about, about selling and process and organization. Those are what create a business that scales and that survives all sorts of different things versus just, yes, I can cut the tree down better than the next guy, right? It's not a tactical success rate. It's all about having the business mindset, the strategy and the acumen to survive. So really, really good advice there. I'm glad you brought that up. Last thing, just wanted to open this up to you. Any last piece of advice, closing words, anything you wanna get out there to to the contractors listening, just kind of last, last piece as we round up here.
4: You are not your ideal client. So stop making decisions on your content, your approach, your pricing based on what you like, what you can afford, and what you do. You are not your ideal client. Most contractors can't afford the projects they do if they had to do it themselves. So stop being afraid to increase your pricing. Stop being afraid to do certain things a certain way because of how you think it looks. You are not your ideal client. So stop pretending that you are and stop thinking that your opinion matters. It doesn't. You need to create stuff that matches the opinion of your ideal target market. If you're not doing that, you're letting yourself and your business down.
1: There you have it. Land down the wall. All right, Mike, I really appreciate your time. My friend, you have said it all. Thanks again
4: for being with us. Absolutely, man. It was great.
1: Take care. All right, Joe. So thanks for joining us in the bonus round. I know uh, your time's valuable here. I don't want to hold you up too much longer, but we love to have our pro members just get a little more insight into that, you know, business brain and someone who's seen and kind of been through a couple decades of growing a successful firm. So these are more high-level questions. The first one being, what's the greatest investment you've made? Doesn't have to be a large amount of money. Doesn't have to be any kind of money. Educational. Uh, financial. What, what would you say is kind of one of your your most memorable investments?
3: So the the management company we used um, it cost us almost two hundred thousand dollars, and uh, my brother is our CFO and was not like could not understand why I was okay with spending two hundred grand. Literally the best money we ever spent. It was truly money invested in our business. Um, we got so stuck with like buying equipment and saying, okay, if we buy that truck, it's going to make us this. So when it came to that type of investment, it was hard to see the value until it was done. And honestly, I'll probably do it again when I feel like I'm struggling again to get to my next tier. Cause it's, it's good to have an outsider come in and take a look sometimes, you know? Cause you, sometimes you get too caught up in your own numbers, you know?
1: Uh, Yeah, could not agree more. And it doesn't, you know, it could be at scale of what size company you are, even just reaching out to some accountability partners, getting your feet wet with a coach hourly in the beginning and finding things out. You can help identify some of those larger projects you need to work on where those gaps are. Really hard to figure that out when you're in the weeds with everything. You need that 30,000 foot view to tell you and anticipate some of those bumps in the road. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about is sort of your your tech stack. Now I know you guys have your own software there a bit, and apart from you know some of the the tools, of course we're going to try to help you with what apps, technology, what types of things are really helping you move the needle in your in your business or just personal life to be effective and efficient.
3: Yeah. So you know to be fair, what's what's funny is the older business has such limited technology. Okay, it's the new business with the technology that I adopted technology right away and I did my own app, but. You know, the, the old business is a lot of paperwork, but we use a company like a, a timekeeping system. We're on the cell phones, uh, like you use a cell phone, so you don't need a smartphone to do it. I'm almost embarrassed to say the technology on the snow and landscape side is very uh, old school. A lot of paper, um, which we want to change with you. But now, like I said, new wise, you know, it's a lot of Google just stuff that kids can come right out of school and know how to use um that's really the big thing for me is to i've kind of transitioned from buying all this like office related software and just started to use the stuff that the kids are being taught how to use in high school i don't know if that answers your question well enough but that that's basically it i'm just trying to keep it simple
1: Yeah, it actually does, and that's that's interesting perspective to bring in what everyone would normally be used to using, like your Google Drives and that sort of thing. Where there's not a huge learning curve with that, just documentation and and navigating things simply. That's actually pretty good feedback to think about that new person, net new, no industry experience, because likely that's going to be our biggest labor pool when we talk about like sales and admin staff. You know, why why not you know overcomplicated it? Um, Okay, so the other thing you know, you strike me as a guy who is continuously improving, right? You have these other businesses going on. What does your information diet look like? How are you sort of staying up to date? Do you listen to podcasts? Are you blogs, books? Like how are you educating yourself and, and helping yourself kind of level up continuously?
3: Yeah. So podcasts for sure. So I, I am not a reader. It's actually funny. I, um, people see my success and I was like, what books do you read? And I'm like, I cannot stand reading. I, I, because I'm, I can't stay, it's like weird, I almost can't stay focused on a book long enough to read it. But I can put a podcast on in my truck while I'm driving from quote to quote and retain almost the entire, the entire podcast. So I think a lot of times people, their own arrogance gets in their own way. So what I mean by that is this, I'm a 41-year-old guy that knows I still have a ton to learn. So when I see a 50 or 60-year-old successful person, I just want to talk to them. I mean, literally, I just want to ask them what they've done, what they've seen, what they regret, what they would do differently. And um, that's my information diet. I'm always kind of looking to hear someone else's point of view and then try to roll it into what I'm doing, because there's a lot to be learned by conversations.
1: Yeah, great answer. I don't think I've ever talked to somebody who mentioned looking at, at elders like that or looking at someone who's already kind of mapped that out. Of course, we talk about mentorship and all that side, but staying curious with everybody that you meet sounds like a great way to get information in real time and maybe help because a lot of people go, I can't read, oh, I can't you know, read articles, whatever it might be. It's a great way to keep you captivated when that curiosity is there. So great answer. On the topical side, I got one more question after this. If we're interested in the auto mower side, automation, just where technology is going, you know, what do you think is the first set of steps? I mean, of course, we, we want them to reach out and, and have a conversation with you. But in their own head, thinking about are they at that point where it even makes sense? Like, Where would you even suggest they start their research? They start thinking about how automate, uh, uh, you know, autonomous equipment and that
3: entire you know, ball of wax could even be relevant for them. So, you know, we didn't really hit on it in, in the main podcast, but, you know, I also have the franchising company now, right? So this is an easy answer for me. The first place they need to look if they're looking into getting an automation is they have to know what it costs them to mow an acre of grass. And if, let's say it's not even mowing, okay? Let's say we're talking tree care automation, okay? They have to identify what it costs them to do something. And not not what it costs, in you know, a at a basic level, full circle. Like, like I'll tell you, I, I worked with a company that we identified what their dollar per hour was, but then also identified that they spent $280,000 a year to get rid of the grass clippings, okay? You don't have grass clippings when you mow the grass every day, okay? So when I say fully understand, I mean roll up your sleeves, take a piece of paper and write everything, fuel, oil, blade sharpening, trailers. Like if you could take from an F-350 Ford and go down to a Transit Connect, what your truck payments would change? I'm talking to everything. Start with that. Because once you start with that, you'll never question automation. I mean, it's that simple. The people that I find that question automation are the people that don't have a clue how much it's actually costing. They've accepted the fact that they're gonna lose money doing it. And then they almost don't want to know how much they're actually using, losing. It's like well, if you know somebody's wrong in you, but you can't get rid of them, you're just like, I'm just going to turn away and not pay attention. That, that's what I see, you know. So hopefully that was a good answer to your question, but
1: that's that's it. 100% knowing your numbers will never steer you wrong. Whether you make no changes at all, that come to Jesus moment of seeing where your money is just bleeding out all over the place. I went through that in my business and it was unbelievably enlightening and caused me to make some real decisions. And again, unemotional decisions. Here's the data, here's where you're losing money. You either accept it and you change or you're just basically turning the other cheek and it's just silly to do so. My next question was was going to be on you know an actionable next step in that. But I think I can't think of a better one than taking the time to roll up your sleeves and going through your numbers. Anything else you would add on to that once they start to recognize those those bottlenecks in the, the number crunching side?
3: Yeah, I mean, then the next thing is just to identify, you know, going back to like my business model with the franchising is to identify 10% of your customer base that you think you can convert, okay? Um, because this is not gonna be a overnight, you're gonna go from mowing to automation, Okay, pick pick whether you do what I did with people that fired you, or take customers that you have a great relationship that will allow you to try the automation. And if they don't like it, we'll say, "Hey, we let you try it. I'll give you the opportunity to go back to the old way." (laughs) You know, because that's that's like that's what it comes down to. If if you pick that ten percent of people, there is no risk. You're not going to lose. You know, if if you buy. 10, 10 robots, the end of the day, you'll be, you'll find a spot for 10 robots. Sure. You know, so uh, start small and then scale it up. You know, what I always tell people is that's why I say 10%, 30 and then 35. um, That's for converting. If, if you do it with that mentality and the numbers don't lie and and you're making 20 to 25% margins on your automation, it's going to be real easy to keep buying bots.
1: Great answer. I mean that's that's exactly the, the the logic here, right? You don't you want to find a minimum viable solution, right? We want to make sure we're testing it out before you're taking huge involvement and you're not pivoting your entire business model. You've identified a problem, you're working on a solution. Automation may or may not be part of that, and maybe the timing's not right or maybe you can be the ke- cutting-edge contractor in your market doing so. So, uh, really powerful stuff, Joe. I'm sure we could have you on for further conversations. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you
3: being here. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: So guys, thanks for being part of this pro section. We wanted to have Martha on here, dissect a little bit more of her brain, just hear some of these common questions we like to ask all of our guests, give you a little extra insight here today. So Martha, One of the first things I like to ask in this bonus section is like to talk about investments and most, and I don't mean about 401ks or anything else, but small investments doesn't have to be money. could be time spent. What do you look back on and think is one of your best money or time investments in your business?
2: I would say education. When I left the corporate world I was so used to, I mean, we had required continuing education for the license that I held and when I opened a maid service, something I didn't know anything about, I was desperately searching for information. Now, things are a little different than they were in 2008 as far as availability of resources online. But when I was talking to a supplier who, you know, worked in the industry, I'm like, is there any education? Is there any, anything that you know of? And they said, well, you know, there's this cleaning association has a conference in two weeks. And I literally had been in business like a few days and I'm like, okay, I'm, going to the conference, you know, and I can remember going to that conference. I didn't know anything about the maid service. I didn't know anything about anything. I never asked any questions because I didn't know enough to ask, but what I did do is I kind of stepped back and listened, and I listened to conversations out in between classes and so forth, and And what I did do is I kind of got the, oh, she knows what's going on. He's really good at this. He's And I picked industry leaders that I wanted to follow. And that was instrumental for me because it did two things. It helped me, you know, go with leaders and consultants that could help me. But then... The other thing is some of them are really great friends now and, you know, we've had mastermind groups, we've done all kinds of things and grown together. And I tell you, you know, in that pit of despair, could I have made it or would I have wanted to make it if, if I didn't know other people who had gotten to the other side and, I wasn't kind of going through some of that with some of my peers, I think I would have scrapped it. I really do. So, education for me was huge, really huge, and networking.
1: Awesome. Education, gonna be one of the top answers in this section for sure. It's a common theme we keep seeing. So, when it comes to technology and being that you happen to own a technology, feel free to flaunt your stuff here. But in terms of tech stack, apps, tools that you use or couldn't live without from a business perspective. Just really quickly, what what does that look like? Do you have any specific things you would point the audience to?
2: Well, whenever I hear somebody saying they're running their business off a Google calendar, I think, oh, my gosh, or paper. I think, oh, my gosh, how do you do that? I mean, and kudos. I have heard of people running half million dollar plus businesses that way. But, and of course you got to think maid service, we're small ticket items, so we're not, but I think I just don't know. So a CRM of course, but I am going to talk quality driven in that. I really feel like, I mean, and it could have been another software that did what quality driven does, but being able to watch the data i use that data so much you know when a trainee is new i'm watching those numbers and it really is telling me Oop, yep 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 they're climbing the trajectory and i think everything's good or mm, you know and i'm going to management and going all right so i'm kind of concerned Because this employee is not getting out of that score range. And same for, like, you know, when you do on-site inspections, you cannot be everywhere. And so it really freed up a field manager to tell them where to concentrate. And we absolutely have a hierarchy of how we look at those scores and where we go. So it's not a, oh, you know, I haven't checked on Mary in a while. You know, it's, okay, so here's these scores, or here's this client's last score, and it tells us where to focus our efforts. And even if I'm not doing an an on-site inspection, which shouldn't use the term I, I'm not doing it, but, you know, you can pick up the phone. And say, hey, Mrs. Smith, time checked in in a while, just call in to make sure everything's going okay, all the while where you're going, okay, this team score that's been at your house the last three times, not good. Or sometimes it's that they didn't answer at all. And in fact, that's really more common is where they didn't answer at all. And you know, that's unusual. And then, you know, sure enough, you call and they're like, well, I didn't want to complain, but, and that's when you start to dig. But if I didn't have those points of references, wouldn't even know where to start. So, yes, I'm going to say quality-driven ranks right up there with a CRM.
1: Love it. Yeah, it's all about the data, like you mentioned. Can't make those decisions without the right data. Right. So, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about, this is one of our last questions here as we wrap up. What does your information diet look like? If I am trying to figure out what's those first couple of books I should read, or how am I going to consume more information? Obviously, we want to follow people like yourself and great people out there sharing this information. What does your particular information diet look like? Are you reading blogs and books? And just give the audience a couple of quick nuggets there.
2: I tend to read more books than I do podcasts or blogs, honestly. And when I say read more books, usually in the form of an audible book, but I also, I guess in some ways, social media, I mean, that's how we identified with each other. And there's various people that kind of like when I went to that conference and I'm like, Ooh, I like what they have to say. I like what, so I do, I think social media steers me to follow somebody and then maybe I am going to their podcast or their blog or this or that. And, you know, it's going to be around topics that I either want more information on. Like I still seek a lot of information about employee leadership just to help, people who I work with, but I tend to gravitate towards areas that I need to improve. And so there's where I'll go. So for me, that one book that I talked about, the three signs of a miserable job. That was a game changer for me, you know, even backing up earlier than that, E-Myth, which we all know about E-Myth. And then there was one called four disciplines of execution, but it was really a follow-up type book called Compound Effect that really resonated with me for management leadership. So you just have to, as you know, I've definitely read some duds and you're going to read books or listen to books that somebody's like, oh my gosh, this book is the end all. And you're like, okay, it was all right, but it didn't resonate with me. So I think however you get that information, you just have to keep pulling in the information and see which books land and which ones, you know, like I say, that one book, it's like, I know I didn't listen to it and go, bam, I'm creating quality-driven, but it is exactly what made me go, that's what I've been looking for. They need measurement. That's a piece. So you got to get out there and try it all on and then see which fits and resonates for you.
1: Yeah, great answer. Books are 10, 12, $20, right? If you get one useful idea out of it, Yeah, worthless weight in gold for the time and certainly the money that you spend there. Right. The last question I typically ask about what you would ask the audience to do. I'm going to put a little twist on this too, for you. What do you think the average service business contractor, landscaper cleaning company, what should they stop doing that you see a lot of companies doing right now?
2: Hmm. Honestly, people don't like my answer. Because what I would tell you is to stop blaming your employees and look at yourself. Because listen, you can blame your employees, but does it fix anything? It doesn't. It doesn't fix a thing. So yes, look at the employee problems, the things you're angry about and that you're blaming the employees about, but then take those problems and say, what could I do to prevent those problems? And that can relate to client issues, anything, but I do. I just, I see people shift the blame and it doesn't solve anything and you just kind of (laughs) spin. So that's what I'd say.
1: I'd stick that right on a billboard. I get it. Okay. (laughs) Well, Martha, thank you so much again for the time here, spending some extra time in this bonus section with us. I know our audience gets a lot of value out of that. So thanks again for the time.
2: You bet. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
1: Yeah, guys. So thanks again. If you can, just a simple ask for the audience, a couple of things. Definitely. If you're using a podcast app, please go on and subscribe as well as leave us a review if you got value out of this. So if you can write a sentence or two about things you liked in an episode, or if this is working for you, it really helps us get found and be seen by more companies out there so we can keep doing this and providing value for the audience. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on the social platforms. Feel free to email me, Sean Adams at singleops.com. If you have anything positive, things you got out of this episode, I'd love to hear it. If you hated the episode and you got no value out of it, you can email Ty. Don't say a thing. <laughs> you, you can email our marketing team. I'll throw a Ty, our marketer, under the bus. Ty at singleops.com, just to, just to mess with them a little bit. So thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. We'll catch you on the next one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. If you got some value out of this episode, drop us a five-star review on your favorite streaming platform. And don't forget to become a pro member of the podcast at singleops.com slash podcast. As a pro member, you'll get notified of each new episode, access to exclusive bonus content, and be entered in to win some great prizes. Thanks, and don't forget to tune in next week.